let us now read together what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 9. There we find God's word summarized as follows. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and all that is in them, and who still upholds and governs them by his eternal counsel and providence, is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father, in him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul, and will also turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this life of sorrow. He is able to do so as Almighty God, and willing also as a faithful Father. After the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 136, the stanzas 1, 2, 3, and 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, our catechism now deals with the first confessional statement of the 12 Articles of Faith, which is part of the section dealing with the content of our faith. In the last few Lord's Days, we learned that reconciliation with God can only take place through faith. And he gives us the content of that faith. He gives it in his word, in the Bible. If we are to have a true faith, we must study God's word. And this is an ongoing activity of the believer. And we have a, sum a summary of God's word in the Apostles' Creed. The first statement of this article is, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. It is striking that the Catechism does not immediately speak about God our Father and our creation alone, no, it speaks about our creation in connection with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you recall, when Lord's Day 8 was dealt with, then the three different aspects of the three persons of the Trinity were dealt with. That Lord's Day made clear that the one person cannot be separated from the other. When we speak of creation, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit were present as well. And also with respect to the other person of the Trinity, that is the case with regard to the Holy Spirit. Each and with regard to the Son, whatever work the one person does, the other person is involved in because they are all God. And they may never be seen apart from each other even though each person has its own sphere of activity. This unity of the work of the triune God is immediately evident in this Lord's Day again. It speaks about God the Father and our creation. 
yet it does not do so without the mention of our Lord Jesus Christ. For what does it say? It says that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ created all things, upholds and governs it, for this is for the sake of Christ his Son, my God and my Father. During Christ's earthly, earthly ministry, he said on a few occasions, if you have seen the Father, you have seen me. Or I and the Father are one. It is especially in this Lord's Day that we again see that the work of the Father cannot be separated from the Son. Although in creation God the Father is in the foreground, God the Son is immediately and intimately involved in this work of love of the Father. And so let us listen this afternoon to what we confess in the Heidelberg Catechism as we are summarized under the following theme. The Almighty Creator of heaven and earth is my God and my Father through Jesus Christ. And then we will see three things. First of all, God as Creator. Secondly, God as Father. And then finally, God as my God and my Father. First, then we will look at God as Creator. As I said, God as Creator can never be seen apart from the Son. We believe and confess that both the Father and the Son existed eternally. Both are the same God. When the authors of this confession wrote the Heidelberg Catechism, and they were concerned that God as creator should not be seen in an abstract, detached sense. For they rightly perceived that if we saw creation only as something that had happened thousands of years ago by a mighty and supreme being, that then we would only be filled with fear and awe. We would not be moved to worship such a creator, for such a creator is too far removed. No, when we speak of creation, we speak at the same time of our recreation. And this is especially important at this point. For now we live after the fall into sin. Especially now creation must be seen from the perspective of redemption and sanctification. And that is why he is mentioned in connection with the Son. Furthermore, also the Holy Spirit cannot be excluded. As we will also see as we make our way through the catechism. When we speak of God's redemption... And then we think of God's love. God created the whole universe, and it was an act of love. Never can we say that he at any time or in any way was detached from his creation. We cannot think of God as only the Almighty. No, God is near for us, for he is also our Father. There are many names that are used in the Bible of God. One of the names that he reveals himself by is the name Almighty. In Hebrew, the word is El Shaddai. But it is not often that the scriptures use that name for God. 
Usually the word El Shaddai is only used when God is shown what he is outside of the covenant. It is therefore no wonder that when Job, in his rebellious state of mind, refers to God, that then he refers to him at, in those times as El Shaddai. For El Shaddai is the mighty God against whom no one can lift a finger. He is the mighty one who created and who makes the winds to blow and the earth to quake and the seas to roar. Over against such an almighty God, we are totally powerless. And that is how Job views God in his affliction as he sits there on the ash heap. And during that time, he feels the enormous and the awesome power of God. He gave and he took everything away that he had. Thankfully, God did not leave Job in his rebellious state of mind. Job was a man of faith. If it were not for Job's faith, he could never have cried out, I know that my Redeemer lives. For if we believe that God is the creator of this world, we must also believe that he is the recreator of this world. And Job was coming, was trying to come to an understanding of that. He was struggling with that. He knew how God revealed himself. Faith makes us partakers of Christ and all his benefits. Hebrews 11 verse 3 tells us, by faith we understand that the world was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things which do not appear. The world was created by the word of God. Elsewhere in Psalm 33, we read, He spoke, and it came to be. And now, brothers and sisters, here we come to the heart of this Lord's Day. The composers want us to keep in mind that when God spoke, it was an act of love. For he created this world in love. He created this world in full communion with him. God is not a God who stands outside of his creation. No, he is intimately involved with every aspect of creation. He is an almighty God, but this is what we have to understand. That's what Job had to understand. At the same time, he is also our covenant God. Little children often brag about their parents. When they're small, they brag about how big and how strong their father is. He can do this. He can do that. And then comes a great exaggeration of all that a father can do. But when it comes to our Heavenly Father, there is no end as to what we can say about him. We can never say enough about his power and might. For no matter how much we emphasize his greatness, we can never exaggerate his greatness. There is no limit to what he can do. Let me ask you, do you also live 
and speak out of that knowledge? Do you acknowledge that in the midst of all your circumstances, no matter what those circumstances may be? Do you think that he who said, let there be light, when the earth was full of darkness, could not also wipe away the dark clouds from the sky? Do you think that he who with one word out of nothing called forth all the stars in the sky cannot also have complete control over your troublesome life? Would he who holds all the oceans of the world in the palm of his hands and not be able to have complete control of the drop of water which is your anxiety and affliction? Would he who overcame the mighty devil through his death and resurrection not be able to control the evil one who assails you every day? Brothers and sisters, it's foolish to think otherwise. There is nothing over which he cannot exercise control. For he upholds his creation, the catechism tells us, by his eternal counsel. What do the scriptures mean in referring to the eternal counsel of God? For this is the only place in the Heidelberg Catechism where God's eternal counsel is expressly dealt with. Well, beloved, in essence, it means the same thing as the will of God. He upholds and governs his creation by his eternal will. And that will, that counsel of God, is eternal. Think about that. In other words, God has never willed otherwise. And that may surprise you. Did God will it to create this world as we have it now? A world full of sin and misery? We know, of course, that man is the author of his own misfortune. He himself brought calamity upon himself. And we know that God wanted to be worshipped out of man's own free will. And that man did not pass the test of love in paradise. And we dealt with all that in the previous Lord's days, especially when we dealt with our sin and misery. But we keep on asking, couldn't it have been different? Couldn't there have been another way in which God tested man? Here again, brothers and sisters, we come to something which we cannot fully comprehend. And therefore, you must believe what God tells you in his word. God tells you in his word that he created this world as an act of love. We may never try to stand in God's shoes and second-guess him. As he says in Romans 11, verse 33 and following, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable is judgment and his paths beyond, beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.
God's ways are indeed unsearchable. And therefore we must see God only in the way that he has revealed himself. And we must see the enormous love God has for his creation. Do you want some proof that God created this world in love? Brothers and sisters, he sent his only son in the midst of all this misery. God did not abandon his creation. No, he loved it so much that he sent his only son in the midst of this sinful world. That is a concrete reality we are faced with in God's word. And God did not send him as some disinterested observer. No, he sent him in the midst of this sin in order to rescue man from all this sin and misery. God has an eternal view. He knows what is best for his creation. There are many people who do not want to believe because they say that if God did indeed exist, he would never have made a world where sin and misery would exist. But then they do not see God's love for his creation. And they do not want to see or hear about the enormous, enormous love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Christ stood in the midst of this suffering. Indeed, he bore all this suffering. He suffered hellish agony of a magnitude that no man could ever understand. God is a God of enormous love for his creation and for his people, for you and for me. And God reveals that in his word. And so you must also believe it, even if there are certain things you do not understand. We must see the enormous love of God in the midst of all this sin and misery. We must believe that indeed God created this world as an act of love because that is how God reveals it to us. In this connection, we must also consider what God tells us about the knowledge of heathens. He tells us, about, he tells us in Romans 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. God clearly manifests himself in nature. For it says that his invisible nature has been clearly seen, clearly perceived. But then if we read on in this chapter, we see that the heathens rejected God's word. Now they no longer understand creation, because they rejected God's word because they rejected God's covenant. And now they lost the ability to understand. It's also what we read in Acts 14, verse 16 and 17. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving them rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provided them with plenty of food and fills their hearts with joy. Even though God gave them all they needed for sustenance, they didn't see that it is from God's hands. They no longer acknowledge him as the only God and as the giver of life. And we see that around us as well, don't we? At one time we could say that Canada was a Christian nation. The various levels of government took into account God's word as they legislated their laws 
And they recognized in their lives, in their laws, that God is the giver of life. But that, what do we see now? Lawlessness. Because they have rejected God's word, their understanding about creation has become so limited that they can no longer discern what life is either. The world around us does not know its creator anymore. As a result, man no longer sees the value of life for the sake of its creator. It does not understand anymore what life is. Man around us lives his life only for his own selfish ends. The secular philosophy of existentialism is being adhered to, to the detriment of true life. But the scripture tells us that life can only have meaning if it has meaning in God. God is intimately tied to his creation. And that's why he also reveals himself as father. That brings us to our second point, namely God is our father. In this Lord's day, God's fatherhood is very much in the foreground. Three times the word father is mentioned. First of all, he's the eternal father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In dogmatics, we always speak about the generation of the son from the father. That is, the son as the second person of the Trinity comes eternally from the father. But here in the catechism is not spoken of the son, but of our Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks of the incarnate son. Incarnate means the word become flesh, the son who became flesh. Of course, the eternal generation of the Son is not excluded, but here the emphasis is especially on the fact that he is the incarnate Son and that he came down to earth to claim his own. Thus, the relationship between the Father and the, and the incarnate Son, the relationship between the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ is seen as determinative for the relation to all of creation. It determines, in other words, how God deals with his creation. God deals with his creation in love. God deals with creation through his incarnate son. He deals with him now who sits at the right hand of God the Father who is the mediator of the covenant. We may be tempted to ask, what if the incarnation had not, would the incarnation have taken place if man had not fallen into sin? In other words, would the Son of God have come down to earth if he had not fallen into sin? Would God still have sent his Son to earth to take on human flesh then? It would not seem necessary. However, it is clear that it was part of God's eternal plan that he sent to earth even before the fall into sin. That is also what God teaches us in his word. We read, for example, in 1 Peter 1 verse 20 about Christ, he was chosen before the foundation of the world. We cannot understand the mind of God. We can only see things from our own perspective. And we can only understand it from God's word. But here we do see the motive of God's love in creation. 
God made the world so that the world would glorify him. And it was his eternal plan never to let go of that, of that counsel for the world. Not even if the world fell into sin. His incarnate son is the ultimate expression of God's love. In Christ all things hold together. That is why it says in Colossians 1 about Christ, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is before all things. Christ is the ultimate expression of God's love. From that central and all-important concept of God's love, we see that the catechism draws two lines. On the one hand, we confess that he is the creator and sustainer of the universe, and on the other hand, we confess that he is my God and my Father. In the following Lord's Day, the fact that God upholds and governs the universe will be dealt with. For then we specifically speak about God's providence. Therefore now, and that brings us to the third point, we deal only with God as my God and my Father. The Catechism says, in him I trust so completely as to have no doubt that he will provide me with all things necessary for body and soul. The picture of God as our Father is given in various places in Scripture. The one place that seems most cryptic and applicable is found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, where we read, Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He is indeed my God and my Father. He always gives good gifts to his children. And that may be hard for us to understand at certain times. It may, may, may seem at certain times that God is so far removed from us. For we, like everyone else around us, are also afflicted with sicknesses and sorrow and death. And yet, beloved, our Heavenly Father deals with us in such a way that whatever adversity comes to us in this life, that he will turn it to our good. That's a quotation from Romans 8, and that's also what we find here in this catechism. When hardship comes in the way of an un when hardship comes, then an unbeliever will curse God. But for a believer, for someone who really trusts in the Lord and believes all that is promised him in the scripture, for such a person, adversity will bring him closer to his creator. For in his weakness, he will be made strong in the Lord. How has God not spoken to Job in the midst of his affliction? God spoke to Job in the storm, in the whirlwind. He told Job how God alone has control over all the forces of nature. He says to Job, for example, as we read, Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Verse 12. And he says further, who provides food for the raven when it's young, 
cry out to God and wander about for lack of food. Verse 41. God is in control of all things. He provides everyone all they need for body and soul. Also, when it comes to the affliction which we see on this earth, it does not occur unless God allows it. God allowed the devil to afflict Job. But one thing that Job, that the devil could not do was to snatch Job out of the father's hand. God spoke to Job, and Job believed. Indeed, brothers and sisters, all things are in God's hands. Believe that, and you will be comforted. Faith, brothers and sisters, never disappoints us. We have a Father in heaven who does not go back on his promises. He is an almighty God. It is true that the devil has might, but he is not almighty. Only your Father in heaven is. In him I trust so completely as to have no doubt. Whoever trusts does not doubt. But the converse is also true. Whoever doubts does not trust. Trust and doubt are mutually exclusive. Trust does not tolerate any doubt. When you trust in the Lord, then all doubt disappears like snow before the warm sun. To trust in the Lord means that you give your life totally over into the hands of your heavenly Father. And when you give something into another's hands, then the burden of responsibility is taken over. It is taken from your shoulders. And that, beloved, is the kind of trust we ought to have all the days of our life. For we have a Father in heaven who does not want any of us to come to harm, who promises to guide us and to protect us, who promises that he will assure us that no matter what adversity may come our way, that we will have a safe homecoming. And that's what we hang on to every day of our earthly life. And that's what you must hang on to also in this coming week. Can you also do that, brothers and sisters? Yes, you can. For not only can you do that, you must do that. God is in control of your life. Indeed, in control of his whole creation. And that God is your God, my God, and my Father. Amen.